Hello, and welcome to Unbabbled, a podcast that navigates the world of special education, communication delays, and learning differences. We are your hosts, Stephanie Landis and Meredith Crummel, and we're certified speech-language pathologists who spend our days at the parish school in Houston, helping children find their voices and connect with the world around them. In this week's episode, we continue our discussion on supporting siblings, this time with input from a mental health professional. Our guest, Lynn McLean, gives advice on how to talk to children about struggles and difficulties one child may be having, and gives ideas to help the whole family navigate emotions and family dynamics. Lynn McLean is a licensed clinical social worker and registered play therapist. She owns a private practice in Houston, Texas, with a focus on supporting children and the whole family. Throughout the episode, Lynn not only gives specific strategies and tips, but she also encourages parents and caregivers to hold space for big emotions and lean into hard conversations even when they make us uncomfortable. Lynn also shares a bit of her experience as a parent who has navigated this herself. Welcome. We have our special guest today is Lynn McLean. We are so excited to have her here today to continue our discussion on supporting siblings and sibling dynamics. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I love your podcast. Well, we, this has been one of the topics that has come up a lot for parents and something that they've requested that, you know, having siblings and helping and supporting them is, is complicated with siblings in general. And then when you have a child that may have a diagnosis or just need a little bit extra support, and it just makes things even muckier to be technical. (laughs) Yeah. Clinical term muckier. Yeah, exactly. More difficult. One of the things we get asked about most frequently is how to talk to one sibling about the other sibling and what their different needs might be and how to support them. Do you have any tips for that? That's a huge general broad question, but. Right. You're starting off with the easy ones, Stephanie. Uh You know, Uh, I don't throw any softballs here. (laughs) That's okay. I'm ready. What I would say is it's so hard for us as parents to acknowledge for ourselves that one of our kids needs some extra support. And I find that with the parents I work with, and actually for me as a parent, um, the process of getting used to that concept of one of our own kids is a lot. And so then we don't want the kid who needs extra support or the siblings to think that they're not able to do stuff um, or that they're going to have a harder time in life. And so what I find is that a lot of parents will shy away and they don't want to talk about a diagnosis and they don't want the kid who needs help to feel different. And they don't want the sibs to think of that child as being deficient in any way. And what we do as parents when we don't know what to say is we tend not to say anything. So my first big tip is to say, mention it, start talking about it, open the conversation. Sometimes you don't know exactly what to say. When in doubt, be truthful. So yeah, you know, we went and P.S., kids always know something is up. They may not know exactly what it is, but they know that brother has been to see a bunch of people. Mom and dad took off work and he was out of school and they know something's up. So you can usually start with that. So, you know, 
we've been going to a lot of people for some questions about why brother's not talking as much as you are. And what we found out is, let's just say in the case of um, an autism spectrum diagnosis, what we found out is his brain works a little differently than yours does. And so he, his brain is working, it's doing great, and he needs a little help. And sometimes his is not going to work the same way that yours does when you're playing with friends or when you're calming down after you've been upset. And using these concrete terms can really help kids understand what's happening. It's not in a judgmental way. It's in a very clear and truthful way. And it helps fill in the blanks because when we leave that task to kids, they tend to fill it in with like really frightening and sometimes really wrong information. So when we're truthful with them and we tell them pretty concretely what's happening, then they're like, oh, okay. And they tend to have much less reaction to it in my experience than we do as parents or as adults. Yeah, I love that. Something we use a lot here at the parish school is that like, this is just the way my brain works. My brain makes this really easy for me. My brain makes this really hard for me. And this is just the way my brain works. That same language, like we found out that this is what their brain makes this hard for them. Their brain makes this easy for them. They may need help with that. Just keeping it concrete. And you're right because kids do notice. And when you don't, then they start thinking that like, maybe there is something really, really wrong. And it's just your brain is just working a little different. And that can go for any diagnosis on campus that we see frequently, like with dyslexia or a receptive expressive language disorder or apraxia. We have a lot of kids that have apraxia on campus or anxiety, like that kind of covers a whole broad thing. You just need, need something different. Absolutely. And you can be specific to whatever the challenge is. So my older child had sensory needs. And I was able to describe it in those terms. So for that child and for the sibling, I was able to say, yeah, you know what, your body could just use a little extra pressure, a sensation seeking kid. Um, I was able to interpret for my husband because (laughs) the older would just take and push the top of the head into my husband's chest. And he was like, what is happening? And I'd say, So that feels great to your body. It releases endorphins. And instead of just sucking your head into your dad, you could say, hey, I could use an endorphin hug. And it really helped him know like what the deal was um, so that there was not that missed communication opportunity. I love being honest and open about how we all need different things. And how would you kind of taking that another step? How would you talk to siblings um, about how they should talk about their their sibling who might need more support in public or with their friends. You know, if they have friends over for a play date, um, going back to your example with a child who's been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, you know, how would you talk to their sibling about how to talk about their brother or sister to their friends? I love that you are bringing up that you can help your kids prepare for that. Because again, a lot of times I think the parental um, idea is there's nothing wrong with them. You don't have to tell your friends anything. And 
actually, they could use some help understanding what's up. Why isn't your brother playing with us during your birthday party? And you can ask your kid what their friends are wondering about. You can ask your kid, depending on their age, developmental level, what they might worry about with respect to their siblings. So start where they are, and then you can help provide them the language that they feel comfortable using. So it might be the language that we use with them. Oh, you know what? His brain just works a little differently and it's hard for him to play with other kids. You might uh, find that that doesn't really work so well for them. And so maybe you can role play with them a little bit. Oh, okay. I'll be so-and-so you be you. I'm going to ask, and you can tell me what you think and we can practice. And that way they can have some ideas about what to say. And um, if our attitude is very matter of fact, this is just the way it is. The sky is blue. They will take that on and have that same attitude. Oh yeah, that's my brother. This is the way he is. That's great. Great advice. And I feel like just creating an environment where this is just who we are and there's, you know, and just acceptance and love for how we're different and building that um, environment in your home can be so helpful because if we see our sibling as this is just who they are and we love them for who they are, then that kind of gets projected outwards to other people as well. A lot of times when, when a child in your home needs more support or maybe sees more therapists, um, you might see some jealousy or resentment come out with the, with the sibling. Do you have any tips or uh, strategies that people can use with their kids to build more empathy and maybe get away from resentment and jealousy or maybe just acknowledging the jealousy and resentment? Yeah, I think 100% just acknowledging it first. Actually, it was a great opportunity to be with one of my kids while their sibling was in with like the super fun grownups with the sensory gym and all the treats and stickers. And there was back-to-back OT and then speech therapy. And I was in the waiting room with my kid, my other kid, and then all the sibs, right? And so I would think of them as the kids in the waiting room and they would see their their siblings who often, I mean, let's be honest, are harder behaviorally, harder to communicate with, not as easy to play with. And they'd see the hard kid go in and get all the good stuff. And so just acknowledging that that's really tricky and it feels rotten a lot of times. Deciding how you can make that time in the waiting room special to the siblings can be really great. We, as parents, used to bring in all the snacks that we knew everybody could eat, and the kids would just sort of make the rounds, and we knew what everybody was allergic to, and he'd be like, oh, I have the popcorn today. Great. Do you have the juice box? Yeah. And so we formed like this little community in the waiting room and made that um, special for the sibs who were out there. I think acknowledging that it doesn't feel fair is a big deal and something that we tend to hesitate to do as parents. Kids will lurk in my waiting room and like try to peek in at the playroom to see what toys I have and to see what their siblings have done and to try to gain access in some way. And it feels rotten for me to say, you know, shucks, this is his time. But empathizing with that desire and um, saying like, I know you really wish you could have that. You really wish you could. And it's different. Yeah, we were speaking with a mom recently, and she was talking about it from the parental aspect. And she said, one of the things she started doing was setting like a specific play date. All right. Now it's just 
this is our time. Like that was their time for me to go do therapy. And like, this is our special time. Is that something that would work as well? Yeah. If you can swing that, it's amazing. Maybe having activities that you only do when that sibling is in treatment. Um, maybe having something that you can do if you don't have to stay on site, maybe you can take a walk around the grounds. Um, maybe you can, um, do a task that feels kind of gross and then something special after. So let's knock out your math homework and then we can play this game that you love. So anything that helps that time feel less um, exclusionary and more like a special time that you get this parent to yourself if you can. Something that comes up with a lot of siblings, all siblings is the idea of fairness. How do you talk to siblings about, about how fairness and how fair doesn't always be equal the same or like just fairness in general? Because you're right, like it isn't fair. And the hard truth is that it's not fair. And again, so circling back to where we started, truth, as hard as it is, is something that kids recognize and they tend to respect. And so saying, I know it's not fair. I had a sib in the waiting room and they were the middle. And so there was the hard kid with a lot of needs who was the oldest and then cutesy bootsy little sibling and who got a lot of attention. And so middle was in and just screaming their head off and trying to grab the baby toy away from the little one. And I just stopped and dropped to the carpet and looked in their eyes. And I said, I think you wish you were still the baby. And the look of recognition on their face and the look of like absolute, yes, I do. It went a long way to calming them down, to helping them feel heard and seen. I think as parents, sometimes we shy away from that because we want to feel like everybody is good. Well, they love their baby sibling. They do. And they also love their older sibling who's having a hard time. It still is not fair and it feels rotten. So being truthful about that, processing about that. The other term that we've talked about today that we talk about a lot at the practice is kids are different. So as you mentioned, equity, I know you're different. So you are going to get this time with me. You are going to get this special snack that you love. You're probably going to get a ring pop when Ms. So-and-so brings your sibling out and they get to go in. So you're different. And I think sometimes it feels good and sometimes it does not. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking a lot about how to talk to the sibling of a child who needs a little extra support. How do we talk to the child who needs more support about why maybe their sibling who maybe is younger is doing things that they still can't do, or maybe why their sibling gets invited places that they can't go to or that they don't get invited to? Oh, that's the one that gets me in the heart. It just, oh, it hurts so bad for them and for us. And I think acknowledging that hurt is where we don't want to go, but I think it's really important to do that and to empathize with them. I think we can never make it up enough. So in the same way that we try to offer something special for the kid who doesn't get to go to all the fun looking therapies, try to offer something that feels special 
to the kid who needs support who can't go to all the things. Um, and I also think to your point about a younger sub who might be mastering some developmental tasks quicker or doing better, going back to that truth and just saying it out loud and empathizing very specifically, I know, I know they already know how to add stuff and they're your little sister and you feel like you should be able to do it. And that feels really yucky. Um, and just sitting with them in that, um, because there's no way we're ever going to be able to make it different. We, we can't. So owning that and helping them, um, acknowledge, which is what we want for them anyway, right? We want them to be able to recognize their feelings, express them in an appropriate way, and to um, understand that there's support for them, even in spite of those difficulties. And that's what you're doing in that simple act of just empathizing. Yeah, you talked about supporting their sibling. I know when we spoke with the parent a couple weeks ago about her child, how her younger uh, daughters struggled with almost too much responsibility to support their sibling. Um, you know, how do you find that balance of, I empathize and support my sibling, but at the same time, like I'm still a kid and I need to be a kid and, and know that it's not fully my responsibility. Do you, do you have any um, tips that you could share around that? Yeah, Kali, I wish I had the magic wand. I keep trying to develop it, but I haven't, I haven't mastered it yet. One of the things that we do in the practice is we focus on the whole family versus just the kid who's brought in for treatment. And so, first of all, a pet peeve. I hate the terms like good kids and bad kids because there's no bad kids. Like some of them are struggling a little bit. So, the ones that come in that are the harder kids, I always ask about the easy kids. Okay, so tell me what's happening for sibling. I'm wondering if this outburst, delay, time spent with older sibling is hard for them. Or, um, okay, so tell me what so-and-so is doing when kid who needs support is having a tantrum or is needing this. And a lot of times I get kind of pushback from parents. Well, they're fine. They're fine. They're not, there's no trouble with them. I don't know. I'm wondering. I think that there's probably a big effect for them. And I think that they, um, they could probably use some attention around that. And so just sometimes calling attention to that kid is a different idea because we as parents are put under so much pressure for all of our kids to be amazing and geniuses. Um, and so then when we have one who we feel like is struggling, we put all of our resources there. And so swinging that attention to the kid who's um, not having as many troubles at that time can be a shift in consciousness. And then if I need to, I actually will um, assign special playtime with the quote other kid. Sometimes I will um, give specific recommendations. Part of the reason I added parent coaching to my practice was so I could give very specific um, feedback to help parents get to their goals. And so sometimes I'll be really blunt and say, so so-and-so should not be in charge of their brother. You're the parent and they're the sibling and they get to be a kid. So sometimes I'm just really blunt about that. And then sometimes I'm able to just say, hmm, I wonder what's going on with easier kid. And parents can start to make that little shift themselves. Yeah. It's hard because I mean, we, we feel 
responsibility for our siblings, no matter what, and protective of our siblings, then you add on a layer of maybe noticing that the other child is getting left out or that the other kids might be like teasing them and they don't notice. The kids have to feel like it's a, it's an extra layer. And I appreciate that you bring that to the attention because if the kid's feeling it young, it's only going to build as they get older and older and older. And now we're like teenagers or adults that are still feeling like a burden of years of feeling like they have to take care of and look out for their sibling. With that, is there, I mean, like I, we have kids here that range all the way from like little itty bitties, like two-year-olds all the way to like preteens. If some of this is coming out as preteens, is it like too late to bring these topics up or is now the best time as any? It's never too late (laughs) to start talking about the stuff that they need help with and stuff they need to know about. And as I mentioned earlier, I think always starting where they are can give you so much amazing information unrelated to this particular topic. But I asked a kid recently what they thought it meant that their parents were getting divorced. And they said they thought it meant that their parents would not be their parents anymore. And it just broke my heart. Like what a different wrong perspective that I would never have known if I had just taken it for granted that they knew what all this meant, because that's what we think. So starting where they are and just saying, I know, what do you think is happening here? What, what do you feel like you need help with? Um, Why do you think your brother gets mad at you sometimes? Um, it could really yield a lot of, a lot of very helpful information for us, because then we know how to tell the truth, to, um, empathize with them, to help them maybe give them some strategies in terms of the older kids, maybe help them role play some ideas for how to manage these things. Yeah. I love that idea of meeting the sibling where they are, because we talk a lot about meeting the child who might have different needs or need more support. We always talk about meeting them where they are, but you know, the, the, the same is true for the siblings. Sometimes I think we forget that they don't have the same knowledge that we do or background that we do. So backing it up, you know, what does this mean to you? Where, where, what are your feelings about it right now? They just fill things in when there's gaps in knowledge that you're like, where did that come from? But that just, it applies to every different, like part of part of life that like you think you mean one thing and they fill in the gap when it's ambiguous with a totally different meaning. And usually it's something like negative. Yeah. I like being open and and direct. It feels uncomfortable as a parent to be open and direct because you want to protect, but it's the way to go that kids don't have the same negative perceptions of diagnoses or other things that parents might have. Like they don't have that burden. Like a four-year-old, they don't know that like society might think that like, that's a bad thing that like, so just being open and direct seems like a way to, to go with four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, even nine-year-olds. Yeah. And think of the relief that that little person has when you ask what they think. And then if they can tell you, cause some of the little ones obviously can't formulate that verbally, but saying oh yeah, you know, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you that you don't get to go back and play with Miss so-and-so and get treats and stickers that you're, you, you weren't bad. <laughs> like maybe they think I'm, 
you got mad at me that time on the way to school. And so then you let my sibling go back and play in that sensory gym and get goldfish, you know, so no, finding out what they think and what a relief it is to them to say, oh, okay. All right. It still doesn't feel that much better, but okay. I understand that. Talking and leaning into the discomfort. I mean, that's so hard, but it sounds like, you know, if anything, that's a good place to start because we want, like you mentioned earlier, we want to protect our kids or preserve their innocence or whatever it is that we're trying to do. But, you know, leaning in and just talking can really prepare them. And remembering that just because you had one conversation about it doesn't mean that that, that that's covered it all. I mean, I just think about with my son, when, when we lost our dog, you know, we had the whole talk and I, I took Sesame Street's advice and I was very direct and very honest and very concrete. And then the next day he asked me when Sadie was going to come home. So then it, you know, there we were, we had to kind of start all over, but just that one conversation might not be enough. Oh, that's absolutely true. As adults, it's um, so hard to be with them in that place of the hard feelings and to have those big conversations that we dread like you just are just so keyed up and then you have it and there's this sense of relief, like, whew, okay, all right. We had the death and dying talk, click, cross that one off the list. And then the next day for them to come up and say, so when am I going to see her again? You're like, great, here we go again. They just, they don't take it in the same way, like we feel they should. And so, um, that's why thinking about it, talking about it, continuing to talk about it. If you get to the point that they're rolling their eyes and saying, I get it, Sadie died. Then you can say, okay, my work here is done. But if they don't, then you you know, okay, great. We're still yeah. talking about it. And we did get there. So I think one of the reasons leaning into these things is uncomfortable is that sometimes as parents, we have a hard time taking apart like our child's actions and like what they see on the outside and their behavior from like the child themselves. So if we acknowledge that this is hard, their actions, their diagnosis, their needing more therapies is hard, then we are acknowledging something bad about the child. And so it just feels like we can't say that this is difficult without saying that the child is difficult. Do you have tips for parents to like parse that apart to be able to be like, you know, our child isn't this, like there's still really a great good inside child. That's such a good question. And a, an important piece of work for we parents to do. I think as we mentioned earlier, we are really put in the position of having all the responsibility and virtually none of the control for what our kids can do. So we're already at this disadvantage because we're thinking, okay, a kid who needs support is automatically coming in with a deficit. So that's how our school systems are set up. That's how our societal expectations are set up. So you're already coming in with this idea that if I can get my kid out of the red, so to speak, out of the deficit, then I will have done what I'm supposed to do as a parent. 
So all of that is all wrapped up within us. And so becoming aware that our kids are who they are and they're who they are with whatever needs they have. So that's the thing that I think is one of the hardest things to um, understand about our reactions to them. Yeah. Separating the behavior from the person and how, how we feel about the behavior is not the same as how we feel about the person. That's what, and I sure, I'm sure siblings struggle with that too. I love my sibling, but I don't like that, you know, he does X, Y, or Z, or that he prevents me from doing X, Y, and Z. And trying to separate that can be really, I'm sure, really challenging. Yeah, I, young th- mind. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. And I think um, one of the most profound things I heard from a mom whose child has Down syndrome was that they prayed for years for their child to be delivered from the challenges that came with Down syndrome. And finally, they received some peace and some measure of comfort in realizing that their child would not be who they were if they didn't have Down syndrome. And so it helped incorporate all of that. So the um, lovely parts of that kid's personality and the loving heart and the amazing place they had in the family, along with the challenges and the health difficulties and all of those things were all part of the same kid. And I think that's what I was thinking of in terms of our work as parents is coming to that true acceptance of the whole kid, including the things that are challenging for them. Okay. And honestly, there's not a child out there that doesn't have challenging moments. Um, Even if we're using the term neurotypical, whatever that really is, I don't think you could ever meet a parent who said, oh no, there's nothing about my child that's that's challenging. (laughs) I mean, and we love them for who they are and accept them for who they are. Absolutely. And seeing in ourselves, I mean, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I can be pretty challenging sometimes. And so one of the things I'll tell parents and especially in parent coaching is, um, you know, they'll say, well, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Like we've taken them to these specialists and we've done all these things and they're still not fill in the blank. And I'll say, yeah. And, you know, I know I'm not really supposed to talk on the phone in my car because it diverts my attention from my driving. And let me tell you, if I've been trying to get in touch with somebody and I see their name come up, I'm going to answer the phone, even if I'm driving and I got a few years on your kid. So I know what I'm supposed to do and I still don't do it. So I think we might have unrealistic expectations of them. So when you put into context, the things we do as adults and excuse all the time, and then apply that to a child and especially a child who uh, needs some extra support, it can be a great flip. It can be a different lens to look through. Yeah, I like that. And especially when talking about siblings that sometimes we come down on the other sibling and be like, well, you know that they blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, knowing it and having the impulse control not to act on it or get angry about it in the moment is totally different things. Yeah. So one of the things we found really helps parents is like specific scripts. Do you have a few key phrases that you give for like in the moment when say like, 
the sibling is feeling really frustrated of like, you always pay attention to them and you're never thinking about me or like, you know, don't go to this therapy. I just want you to stay with me or something like that. Do you have something that parents can like a go-to to say in the moment? I think when in doubt, just reflect that feeling or that wish back to them. Because a lot of times kids just want to know that we're hearing them. So I know, I know you're mad at me because I'm leaving again to take them to therapy. I know. What we tend to do is rush on to the next thing because we don't want them to fill in the blank, have a tantrum, feel bad, um, hate us, um, any of those things. And so what we rush into, but I'm going to be home and I'm going to bring you ice cream or I'm going to, you know, like, but you'll get to go with me next time and we'll have special playtime in the waiting room. We rush right past their feelings. So back up, say how they're feeling, um, be with them in it. And that I think is the most powerful first step that you can take. I just feel like we've been hitting this theme over and over again, even when discussing different topics of just not trying to rush in and save them or solve the problem and just being there with them in that moment. We, we that came up in, a, in another um, episode we were recording, just being there with children and not trying to rush in and save them because as a parent, you just, you want to make it better. You just, Oh, don't cry. Don't cry here. Here. Do you want this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing to want your kids to be happier at all. <laughs> I mean, right. It's what we want. We want to fix it for them. We want them to be okay. And in rushing to that, as you say, we are, a lot of times I think it feels to them like we're negating where they are. And so just the first go-to is just being with them where they are and just reflecting that feeling. I know. Yep. You're really mad at him. He broke your logos again. Yeah. I'm sorry. That feels rotten. Yeah, I like that because with siblings in general, you want to rush past the conflict and go right into the like, but you love each other. You love each other. <laughs> be nice to each other. They're the only person you got. They'll be with you forever. Like you're stuck with them. You love each other. <laughs> we want to jump past the like, but yeah, like I'm legitimately mad and you have a reason to be mad to just straight to the like fixing or the forced get along and, and that it could be not so fun for the kids. Cause they're like, but I'm not sorry. And I'm still mad. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're thinking, Oh, great for the love. They're going to be with me forever. Fabulous. Great. Um, one of the best things I ever heard T Barry Brazelton um, said that we never get over the birth of a sibling. And I have parents like want to rush past that shock to the system uh, for the olders of having a little one born and, um, oh, but they love them. They're so good with the baby. And it's like, I know they love them and they just are so glad they're here. And a sibling enriches our lives in so many ways. And as Dr. Brazelton would say, they are fierce competition for the most precious resources that we have. So, I mean, your toys, your parents, the snacks, all the things. And when you're little, you can't put all that together. And so, yeah, you're right. You rushing past and saying, I know, but you're supposed to love them and treasure them. And they're your family. Um, they do. And it's still a really tricky thing to have this human now attached to you. So it's not just my house where there's an actual fight over who can sit closest or more on top of mom's lap. No. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
we've got that in our house too. Mm-hmm. Or dads or wh- whoever it is in the moment or the dog. I mean, you know, <laughs> always competing over attention. Mm-hmm. Or who can be first used to be the big deal. Um, we used to have to have a plan for who could be first down the stairs to the car. Um, and that did include the dogs. The dogs were fierce competition. So um, we, my husband actually invented this genius idea that they're born on, on odd and even days. And so if it was an odd day, that kid got all the good stuff, but also all the bad stuff, had to feed the dog, had to shower first. Um, and to this day, they're in their 20s and they still go by that system. Like who gets to sit shotgun if they're, we're all going somewhere together? Oh, it's my day. I get to sit in the front. So it was um, a really good way to help my brain remember who could go first, who had to feed the dog. Um, so that's genius. I was just thinking that my kids are both on odd days, so I'll have to come up with a different metric. But that's such a good idea. I love that it's I love that it's the good and the like not so good. Like you could try a shotgun, but you also have to feed the dog. Like, like. And who would have thought showering first would be the thing? Like now, you know. <laughs> Yeah, why, why, why is that a problem to get first shot at all the hot water? But then they were like, oh, no, I don't want to. I know, you got to. Well, thank you so much for your time. We could chat with you all day and all day and pick your brain and keep going. Absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of every podcast, we ask our guests one giant question. If you had one piece of advice to give to our listeners, and it could be on this topic or really any advice that's on your brain right now, what would you give? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't go softball, do you, Stephanie? No, we put people in the hot seat and on the spot. (laughs) You know, I think what I would say is for parents, nothing is more important than your relationship. And that you could fill in the blank with that with your child, with your significant other. When you are feeling the pressure from school, from therapists, from your other kids and you really, I mean, when we're pressured, we don't tend to be our best selves. And so sometimes instead of thinking about the timeout, we need to put our kids in, put yourself in timeout, um, give that space to the relationship so that you can go back and come from a place of um, breath, right? Take breath. Um, Don't say or do anything that's going to jeopardize that relationship because Homework in the backpack, um, shoes on and ready to go to school on time. None of that is worth more than your relationship with your kids. And so taking the time to put that first when you need to, that that's really what I wish more of us could do in all of our relationships, but especially parents who are juggling so many things. Great advice. I feel like you were talking to me. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you're in my house this morning or something. <laughs> well, I've had to follow that advice myself. And so I've seen it, I've seen it work. If parenting has taught me anything, it's humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. We truly appreciated this. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. having me. It was really fun to talk to y'all. Thank you for listening to the Unbabbled Podcast. For more information on today's episode, please see our episode description. For more information on the parish school, visit parishschool.org. 
If you're not already, don't forget to subscribe to the Unbabbled podcast on your app of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave a rating and review. A special thank you to Stig Daniels, Andy Williams, Patty Henson, and Molly Weiselberg for all their hard work behind the scenes. Thanks again for listening.